Welcome to the Just Start Tech podcast brought to you by Central Valley Christian School. This is your source for growing in your pedagogy by hearing stories from others on this journey just like you. Because learning never stops, it just starts. So here we go. everybody to episode four of the Just Start Tech podcast. I'm so glad that you have chosen to listen in again. It has been great to see some of the statistics of people listening, and I hope that you will spread the word to people that you know by sharing this podcast and leaving a review and rating where you listen to podcasts. It definitely helps other people find the show, and it is a way for you to make an impact on education. For our episode today, I'm going to share a review of the popular book, Teach Like a Pirate, authored by Dave Burgess. For the interview portion, come listen in as I interview Irene Hoyer, a second grade teacher at CVC. She shares how she modified a research project using Book Creator to include safe searching, digital citizenship, creativity, and communication. Lastly, for our jump starters, I'm going to share a few features of Google Slides that you may not have known about and how you might use slides to create a variety of projects. So let's get started. You may have heard about the popular book, Teach Like a Pirate, authored by Dave Burgess. The pirate mentality has become a movement in teachers across the globe, and there are several other books that follow this style. I want to give you an overview of the pirate mentality, a breakdown of what the pirate acronym is, and what other goodies you can find in this book. In Dave's introduction, he makes clear that teaching like a pirate has nothing to do with the actual definition of a pirate, but more so with the spirit of a pirate. And here's a quote. Pirates are daring, adventurous, and willing to set forth into uncharted territories with no guarantee of success. They reject the status quo and refuse to conform to any society that stifles creativity and independence. They are entrepreneurs who take risks and are willing to travel to the ends of the earth for that which they value. Although fiercely independent, they travel with and embrace a diverse code, end quote. So this whole pirate thing is also an acronym for a style of teaching, and we'll go through that here. The P stands for passion. While many of us are passionate about our work, there are definitely some days or even some topics that really don't make us feel that way. Dave shares three different types of passion. There's content passion, when we're passionate about the topic that we're teaching. There's professional passion, the reasons we feel called to this occupation. And then also personal passions, the things outside of education that we love to do. And he really recommends being able to share that with your students and and bring those in to help kind of immerse them as well. Speaking of immersion, that's what the I stands for. This means that as a teacher, you need to be fully engaged with your students and not distracted or or half-minded. you got to be there with your students. They can tell when you aren't all there, and that makes them feel that what you're saying isn't as important. If you're only giving them half of your best or anything like that, if you're not all present, they, they get that. Give them your attention. Listen to their needs and be with them as you teach. The R stands for rapport. The ability to connect with students and take genuine interest in them will go a long way in learning. A student who might be a terrible case for one teacher might not be so bad in another teacher's class. And why? Well, it could be that the rapport and relationship between the two might be more genuine. Maybe that teacher took an interest in the student and that student really does respect and trust that person. 
So see past the person in your desk as a student. Recognize them as a person and reach into their hearts and speak life to them. The A is double here. It stands for ask and analyze. Dave mentions that oftentimes we aren't asking the right questions to generate creativity. Creativity is all around us, but how often are we asking questions such as, how can I make this lesson more engaging? Or how can I get my students into a different environment for this lesson? Questions like that. We can all be creative, but he mentions that creativity doesn't just come blasting out like a bolt of lightning out randomly. We actually need to take the time to look for it. T stands for transformation. So how can you transform your class so that it is engaging? One of the most thought-provoking questions Dave asks is this. If your students didn't have to be there, would you be teaching to an empty room? Think about that for a moment. How do you stand out from others so that students would want to continue learning from you, even if it wasn't required? Lastly, the E stands for enthusiasm. Enthusiasm is a spark. It can ignite fires in others. Have you ever listened to someone who isn't enthusiastic about what they are saying? Think about listening to a student monotonously read a presentation from the screen. You know how, how boring that is. So your excitement, your energy, all of that can be seen and felt by students and it changes the whole dynamic of the class. As I was reading this book, I thought, wow, Dave, how in the world can you do this stuff all the time? Where do you find the time? Is it just that you're this incredibly awesome person that has all these gifts and abilities? Well, Dave qualmed my worries by being honest that he isn't this perception of a perfect teacher all the time. There are things that drag you down, things that get in the way, home life, all this other stuff. But Dave gives practical ways to help you start crafting, engaging lessons. Everything that you do in your class is a choice. And Dave opens up your eyes to certain things that you may not have realized you were doing. If you're still wondering, what practical things can I get out of this that I could use right away? Well, Dave provides a variety of ways in which you might hook students into your topic. Seriously, these are things I never would have thought about. They're definitely outside of the box for me, but those are exactly the types of ideas we need. No one is hooked by something that is status quo if it's just the same. It's the newness, the creativity, the thing that stands out that really grabs our attention. So I would highly encourage you to read this book. I have a copy available for checkout if you would like to read it. Otherwise, you could purchase it as well as many other great books through Dave Burgess Consulting. And I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Hoyer is our guest for this podcast. As you listen in on this interview, pay close attention to how Irene talks about her project. She isn't just doing it for technology's sake, but she noticed an opportunity to impact student learning and then provide them with an opportunity to create something meaningful. I am here with Irene Hoyer. Irene, how about you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, I came to CVC in August of 1988, and it was right after I graduated from Dort. This was my first uh, teaching assignment, so I graduated in May from Dort College and came here in August. 
And when I came here, there was just one teacher per grade. And of course, the elementary campus did not exist. And my classroom is what's now Julie Houtsma's classroom. CVC hadn't been around very long yet, maybe about eight or nine years. A year later, I was married and slowly I had children, four of them, and continued teaching. I did take three and a half years off from the classroom to be with my kids at home and also was working to clean our church building. And then in my job opened again that I had had in second grade, and so I came back to teaching when my youngest was five months old. Um, some other things I like to do in my spare time is um, I like to make greeting cards and I like to sew. All right, so it seems like you've probably yeah, seen CVC evolve over time, uh, just yeah, seeing all these different changes, and that probably means that you've probably had to adjust a lot and, and think about the way that you've been teaching over the years, too. Definitely. Interesting. I've been in so many different classrooms here on CBC's campus, and wow, when we made the big move to the new elementary campus, we were excited to be in brand new classrooms. Um, but yes, there's been a lot of changes. All right, so thinking about whether it's you as a child or in some of your first years of teaching, what was the one of the first technological advancements that you kind of remember? When I was in high school is when computers started coming to the classroom. And it was quite exciting. It was in our math class that we had these big old things sitting on a table. <laughs> we had floppy disks that we had to put in. I really don't think that the computer did too much to help us. <laughs> and then, of course, went off to college and they helped a lot more. But we didn't each have our own. We had to go to the computer lab and you had to remember to save all your information on floppy disks and remember to bring your floppy disk along. Oh, yeah. And yeah, it, it's amazing to think of the changes that have happened. Um, and then I started teaching and we had a computer in the classroom. Of course, you didn't take one home like we can today with our laptops. Um, so you had to stay after school and do anything that you wanted on the computer. And then, um, yeah, slowly it became better and better and floppy disks became smaller and then didn't need them anymore. And now we just, you know, walk around with our phones and those are our mini computers. Yeah, that's crazy to think because, yeah, floppy disks, it wasn't that long ago that they were really used still. And we just started advancing and advancing and advancing. And now we really don't need any sort of like device to take with us except our computer, whether that's our, our phone or a laptop or anything like that. So. Yeah, that's a lot of big changes in the last 30-some years. So another thing you were telling me about, you are talking about your, your little camera. Can you share a little bit about that? I thought that was kind of a funny story as well. Well, I went to Fresno Pacific to get a master's degree in educational technology, and that was in about the year 2001. And um, so we, yeah, would have to take our floppy disks with us to class, and save everything on there. And we also had a camera that we put a floppy disk in. Of course, not the really big ones, but the little bit three and a half, I believe, inch floppy disks. And we'd have to save all our information on there and all our pictures. And 
Um, I have a box full still at home. I am haven't thrown them out yet because I don't know if I want to. I still have the camera as well. So maybe it's a piece of history. Yeah, a good learning opportunity <laughs> for later generations too. Yes. So I've, I've been in your classroom uh, throughout the semester and school year so far, and I've seen you do a lot of different things with your class regarding technology. Would you mind sharing some of these different projects that you've done? How Maybe explain to our listeners how you came up with it, how you developed it. Explain what students are doing, how it's enhancing their learning, uh, the different tools that they're using, uh, a little bit about how students are responding. Anything that, that, that you would like to share about your technology journey? Okay, so almost every year we have the students do an animal project. And many times, probably for 10 years or so, we say, okay, you do this at home. The project would come back. They would do a pretty good job of writing their sentences, but you're never sure if they did it alone, if they actually did the writing themselves. Mm -hmm. And then there was the kind of difficult part about did they just copy from a book or did they copy from a website? And we yeah. really don't want kids learning that you just copy to make your report. So then we kind of transitioned into let's just do an animal report at school and let's guide them through and let's work with their writing skills and let's help them along as teachers. And then we decided, I, I decided that maybe it would be fun if we incorporated some technology. And we had an app on our iPads called Book Creator. And I started looking into it, started trying to do one on my own, and thought this would be a good time to try to use Book Creator with doing an animal report. So first we had to do research, and we used a website called Kid, Kids Rex so that we knew there were some safe searching going mm -hmm. on and the kids could write down some information about their animals. They also looked in books as well. And then we also wanted to be careful about the pictures that they chose to add to their book. And so we wanted to teach them a bit about digital citizenship. Do you give credit to the right people when you use something that someone else has done. Yeah, and that's a really important skill to learn, especially at a young age, because I think a lot of people just came into technology and saw all these pictures and started slapping them in their projects, and that's kind of the norm for a lot of, a lot of people. So if they can learn those skills early on about giving credit, that will only continue to develop their digital citizenship and, and make them more aware of that. Right, and so we thought, okay, we're going to start with the pictures, but we're also kind of reminding them as well that the words that they pick have to be their own words, mm -hmm. not grabbing all these sentences and just slapping them into their project. They have to write their own sentences. So that was something that you know took a lot of hard work yeah. because for kids... <laughs> They'd rather just go fast. <laughs> mm -hmm. And so they each found pictures and put those on pages and then put sentences along with the pictures about their animal. And then they created a book in Book Creator. And it was amazing to see how proud the kids were of their work. They had to draw one of the pictures and all the others could be from someone else's 
um, photo that they took off the internet and then they had to give that person credit. But the students were very, very proud of their work. So in order for them to share their work, they saved it on Book Creator and then they did something that is called app smashing. And they took their project and they put it also into an app called Seesaw. And Seesaw is a great app that, especially the younger ones, um, can get really good at using. We've been using it all year in the classroom. And so now they have their project saved in the Seesaw app. They can go back and read it. They can go back and look at it. And they can share it with their kindergarten buddies and Mm. read it to them, which they were able to do. And it's something that they're very proud of. Um, Other students in Seesaw can read other classmates' work, and they can also comment that they liked the book. And that was another part of the whole thing is they learned how to make kind comments to each other. Yeah, so there's a lot of skills going on in there. And I just want to highlight the Book Creator app. There's so many different types of media that you could put in there. And it's just really easy for kids to start using. And it gives them, yeah, a much more uh, professional-looking project if they're using images correctly and and finding high-quality images. I remember searching with them for tigers and things like that. And there's just beautiful images that you can get And then it kind of takes a barrier away from some of those kids who might not be as artistic, uh, where they can kind of use some of those resources as well. And then that whole idea of app smashing is something really cool. So uh, for our listeners who don't know what app smashing is, it's basically where you're using two apps to achieve a goal. So we're using Book Creator here, and we're using Seesaw uh, to be able to share that book out to classmates. And then I really love the other point, just thinking about social media and commenting and all of the stuff that goes on with that and how that can be done so poorly, you're giving your students the opportunity to think about their words, knowing that these are going to be seen by their classmates and and thinking about how, how words make us feel. There's all sorts of different lessons that you could go on there. And then this whole project, it's it's digital, so it's not really going to get lost, and they're able to share it with such a, a wider audience. I, I'm sure that many of them like being able to share a project with their classmates, but then also uh, developing that relationship with their kindergarten buddies, being able to share it with them. I'm sure that just increased the amount of pride that they had in it. Agree, yes. And they're still actually commenting on some of each other's books. (laughs) Yeah, and that's, I mean, something that they can take with them next year as well, because they'll still they'll still have some uh, access to it or they can they can transfer it or anything like that. Exactly. So thinking about some of these things that you've done here, if you have a colleague or or someone who's listening that thinks, wow, these are, are really cool things that you're doing. What are some tips or tricks that you learned along the way? What are some things that you would tell them if they were wanting to try these things, but they were just a little bit hesitant? I would say try new things in the field of technology. But when you're doing that, don't become overwhelmed with doing too many new things at once. Mm -hmm. Try to work on one app or one skill with your students and then try it all out and then maybe try something else. If that's maybe not what you like or 
possibly, um, you know, you want to fit something else in. Also, I am a visual learner, so if I see what someone else has done, it helps me. So come check out other uh, teachers' work or come talk to another teacher about what they're doing, and that might be able to help you um, get a start on a project. See what other people are doing in their classrooms and see what works, and that will help you um, start something new. Um, also, I would say kind of be careful about maybe how huge a project you might do with the younger kids, because if you extend it over too long of a time, I feel like they kind of lose interest. And so that might be something to think about as well. And, but I would really, really encourage everyone to try maybe you know something new once per semester so yeah. that you can um, encourage the kids that are ready to try something new and um, yeah, be, be a life, lifetime uh, learner yourself. Yeah, I think that's really important to be a lifetime learner. Um, we know in education, we were just talking about how quickly things have changed and we need to be able to adapt to these different changes. And sometimes that means just trying something new. And I think if it doesn't work well, that's it's not a lost cause. It's still okay. You're still able to learn from that and you can model that to your students that we're trying something new and maybe we weren't successful like we wanted to be. How can we recover from this? And I think that's an important skill for students as well. And I like uh, how you talk about just learn from other teachers too. I think sometimes we can be kind of confined to our four walls and think that I have to figure everything out and if someone else is doing something different, we might sometimes think, oh, they're better than I am. But really, teaching is all about kind of sharing, and we're, we're here for the kids. So if you, if you have opportunities to go visit other teachers' classrooms and watch them do a lesson or model an activity, or just even thinking about going out on, on social media or the Internet and or just talking with other people out there, there's tons of people who want to share and, and do pictures and share the activities they've developed uh, so that you can be successful in your classroom as well. Agree. So anything else that you would like to share about your projects or, or your classroom in general that we weren't able to discuss? I think it's interesting how apps, they learn some things from an app, but they can carry over that learning to other apps as yeah. well. So it's amazing how quickly kids pick up on new things that you put before them. They really are very attuned to these iPads and probably are much faster at learning <laughs> most of the things that I am. So they can carry over a lot of things that they've learned in one app and use it in the next one. And so it, that's amazing to me how quickly they learn. Yeah, and sometimes it's yeah, it's, it's not always about teaching the app. It's just kind of practicing it and developing some of those skills, knowing that it's going to carry over to another app. You're going to be able to click the plus button to add something new or just use your finger to drag something to yes. a certain place. So I think developers are, are making those kind of connections as well to yeah, to kind of be compatible with each other. So, and students, yeah, they pick up those skills really quickly. Yes. And they teach each other very fast, 
too. <laughs> yes, that's important as well, giving those students the opportunity to, to teach each other because that can be overwhelming sometimes with a new app or something. If you have to teach everyone, maybe you model it the first time, but then there's kids who don't get it. But if you have the kids who, who do get it, be able to share some tips or tricks everyone benefits from it. Exactly. All right. Well, I want to thank you again, Irene, for coming on to the podcast and and doing this interview with us. Uh, If our guests want to get a hold of you, what's a way that they could contact you? You can reach me by email, mrshoyer at cvc.org. All right. I'll put that in the show notes as well if you want to ask Irene some more questions about some of the projects that she's doing so that you can do them in your class as well. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Irene as much as I did. Irene definitely embraces this just start mentality. She mentioned that it's important to try new things, but she also understands that there needs to be a balance. Don't feel like you need to be the same as another teacher who might be doing something else or some different projects. Just think about how you might enhance your lesson and then just try it. If it doesn't work or do what you wanted to, take time to reflect and learn from that and then try something new. jump starters today, I want to share five different features of Google Slides that you may not have known about. All of these will have an accompanying video that demonstrates step-by-step how to do them. The first one is creating links to slides in the presentation. You probably knew that you could type some text, select it, and then make it a link to a website. But you can also use that same feature to link to a slide within the presentation. This can be useful in a variety of ways. You can use this to create a table of contents at the beginning of the presentation so that you and your viewers can easily jump to different content that you need. And if you're going to do that, it would be wise to include a home button on one of the corners of your presentation or an icon that would bring them back to the table of contents. That way, if you do jump somewhere, you can always get back to the table of contents with the click of that button. Other use cases for this would include things like choose your own adventure stories, where the viewer is given choices that lead to different scenarios. And you might also use this feature as a graphic organizer. You might have each detail or bubble uh, be able to be clicked on, and then that goes to additional information on its own slide. This would be a great way also to change up a timeline activity. So think about you create the timeline and you put on those important dates and maybe a title, but you can link those dates to a slide that has additional information, images, videos, or other resources. If you have heard of ThingLink, where you have a flat image that has hotspots, you could do a similar thing in Google Slides. You would have an image on your first slide, and then you would draw little icons or add things in that would link to other slides that would give more important information. They could also link to other websites or videos as well. The second trick is changing the size of your slides. If you go to File, Page Setup, and click the drop-down arrow, you can create a custom slide size, such as 8.5 by 11. This is perfect for if you want students to create something that can be printed, or if you need the slide to be wider or longer, giving students more room to work. 
This also gives you more functionality versus a Google Doc. With slides, you can drag shapes, you can drag images, text boxes, wherever you need them to go. You also get more functionality by being able to embed video from websites and modify different settings on that. So consider using slides when you're designing a worksheet or an instructional sheet next time. The third tip is using grid view. Perhaps you use a slide deck where each student is responsible for one slide. Maybe they're creating something on there or they're adding in some information or they're working out a math problem, anything like that. Seeing the progress of student work can be difficult if you just use the film strip view. And that's where the small panes are on the left and you have your big, the one that you're on right big in the center. So consider using grid view, which is that little icon in the lower left, so that you can see each individual slide with a bigger thumbnail. Then you just have to double click on a slide to get a bigger picture of that student's work. So you can jump into that slide. You might also use grid view when you need to modify a larger slide deck. Perhaps you need to rearrange slides or you just want a broader view to see which slides can be hidden or deleted. Using grid view allows you to more easily drag and drop those slides to arrange them as well. The fourth tip deals with presenting with Google Slides. If you choose to present using presenter view, you have the option of using a question and answer format. You can give students the automatically generated link to your slides Q&A, and they can ask questions while you are presenting. Students can submit questions by showing their name, or they can choose to do it anonymously. Others can upvote a question if they think it is worthwhile as well. This gives you some feedback from your students without necessarily having to stop and ask for questions and interrupt the workflow. And another tip for presenting is using the new closed captioning feature. By having this feature turned on, your presentation will automatically create closed captions for what you're saying. It's pretty amazing to see that happen live and it's pretty accurate as well, constantly improving. It's important that you are near your microphone in order to get the words picked up clearly, but it does add an extra accessibility feature for those who may have difficulty hearing or who need to visually see words to comprehend. And I can't remember where I picked up this tip, but if you're not doing a slide presentation, but you just wanna add in this accessibility feature, think about just creating a slide that has your topic as a static slide, and you just present that and turn on the closed captioning, and then you continue your lecture as needed. Those closed captions will continue to go across the bottom of the screen so that students who need some visual as well as auditory uh, can see that. The fifth and final tip for today is using Google Slides to do a variety of sorting and classifying activities. Whether you are sort sorting words for early elementary, whether you're doing animal types or mathematical equations and graphs, giving students the opportunity to sort and classify makes them think about the why. When doing activities like this, go ahead and utilize the space outside of the slide. Put your different words, your shapes, whatever you're using, put it out on the side with instructions for students. Whether you can put the instructions in the speaker notes or anything like that. That way they have a clear workspace to move everything. Have them finish the sorting activity and then you can do an even higher order thinking skill by having them defend their reasoning for sorting or they could evaluate others' reason 
comments for sorting. This means that you could be on a shared slide deck and they could jump in and comment on other people's work that they've done, or perhaps you have them present it or even create a screencast. There are certainly many other ways in which you can use Google Slides, but I hope you found a couple of these tips useful. If you want to share your favorite way, go ahead and email me or reach out to me on Twitter, and I'll be sure to highlight that next time. I want to end this episode with this quote from Jim Henson, as I think it relates to the pirate mentality. Kids don't remember what you try to teach them. They remember what you are. What are you doing to shape your students? I hope that each day you are trying to inspire them even more to be who they are called to be, to do great things in this world, because the way that you teach will make a lasting impression. I hope that you are able to take something from this episode. Please share with others and get a conversation started with your colleagues. If you have an idea to share, please reach out to me. I would love to feature what you are doing in your classroom. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts and leave a rating. Please share this podcast with others so that they can further their tech integration journey as well. Remember, you can find me on Twitter at JustStartTech or reach me by email at ndegroat at cbc.org. Thank you for listening. And remember, learning never stops. It just starts. Thank you.